Okay, welcome back. Thank you for being here. Um, this is episode 24, even though it may not be talk number 24 in the playlist because there are some doublings. Uh, today we're continuing discussion of Sutta Nipata. This is going to be the ninth sutta of the second chapter called Chulavaga. The sutta today is called Kim Sila or Kim Shila Sutta the same Shila as Shila Samadhi Prajna, where Shila is virtue, ethics, ethical behavior, morality, right conduct, harmless conduct, skillful conduct, and Kim is um, sort of um, uh, the how. <laughs> uh, how, how, to, the, the, how to be virtuous, Sutta, something like that. Uh, translated uh, by John Ireland and Tanisara Bhikkhu, I'll use both and compare, translated as right conduct or with what virtue. Um, right conduct could also just be called sila itself, uh, but the overview Tanisara wrote is these are the attitudes and behavior that enable, enable one to best learn or one best to learn and benefit from the Dhamma. So attitudes and behavior, so we may continue learning and benefiting. Uh, it's an interesting backstory from wisdomlib.org. Uh, they actually take it from all sorts of other sources. Uh, there was a, a scholar, Malala Sekera, I think Sri Lankan, uh, that this is poached from the background I'll read it preached by the Buddha in reply to a question put by Shariputta Shariputta is um, one of the two chief or main or um, elder uh, disciples in the whole Sangha and um, he was more on the 246 line or um, love wisdom or love wisdom in the sense of being a great scholar or a great a, a great practitioner who who knew the Dhamma teachings inside out. The other was uh, Mahakashapa, who was a friend of his, um, who was great in magical power. So this is a, a sutta that came from Gautama in reply to Shariputta's question that begins with the word Kimsila. Sorry, and the story is Shariputta visited Buddha Gautama taking with him a young man, son of a friend, son of a friend of his father. Uh, I think a Bhikkhu Bodhi says that it was his friend. So it's either his friend or uh, his father's friend's son. That youth had joined the order of the Sangha under Shariputta, renouncing immense wealth, but he could gain no attainment. Shariputta desired him to hear ex an exposition by the Buddha, hence the question, and so he's asking on behalf of this other fellow who became a monk, giving up a lot of uh, wealth and Brahmin luxury position. And part of what this sutta is about is how to approach the teacher, and therefore how to approach a teaching. And we'll see that the Bhikkhu Bodhi does an excellent job. I, I sent the link... Um, of his uh, lecture on it from BuddhistDoor.net, 
uh, he spoke directly about Kim Sila Sutta in uh, 40 minutes. Very, very well done. And he was saying something like, this young monk had um, a too casual attitude towards Sariputta because he had been his friend or he was a peer and coming out of lay life. These are real people. The, uh, the monks have their own personal histories as people <laughs> before they were Buddhist monk. And he didn't have um, the right frame of mind to learn. And he wanted to become a monk, but he also had some carryover of distortions or a loose-mindedness, a casualness, I think, towards the whole matter. And so part of what the sutta is about is uh, how 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 the, the right way of setting one's mind in approaching a teacher, and therefore a teaching. And therefore we can extrapolate and say the the frame of mind needed to approach any teaching, not only Buddhist, as well as any matter in which we're seeking to learn or gain understanding of truth. How to approach truth. How to approach uh, seeking to understand. How to approach seeking to know, to get clear about anything. And that a certain mindset is needed, and then there are certain obstructions or ways of mind and behavior that are obstructive, and those are not helpful. So, the second paragraph of the little write-up here from Wisdom Lib is, One who aspires to the highest good should not be envious, obstinate, or careless, but diligent in his training, cultivating self-restraint and chastity. Um, that was from the word brahmacharya. Intent in the Dhamma, making the Dhamma his first and last concern. Uh, this, again, is the ninth of Chulavaga and... Um, it's a very straightforward sutta. It's not very complicated, actually. Um, but its implications, ramifications for us, not being monks, but seeking to continue learning and growing um, and helping, um, it, it's relevant to that, to us, in our way, to continue learning. And even can be understood as uh, a measure uh, or a, a, a measuring stick, <laughs> um, a standard that we can also apply uh, for ourselves when someone comes to us asking for information. Or when we're talking to someone to determine their degree of receptivity. So th this is not simply Shariputta and Gautama and the young monk who wasn't in the right frame of mind to learn and, and achieve, but how we, um, how the mind is of, uh, how, what, what the conditions of mind receptivity are to continued learning and growing. And then, too, also uh, sensitizing us to those conditions of mind uh, to be sensitive to how another person is when we're talking with them. And not even the case they're asking a question or looking to ask us, tell me about this or that, because commonly people don't. People are so full of pride, actually. <laughs> they really, most people are have a lot of pride 
it's it's very interesting. Uh, for me, that's more clear these days. Many many uh, receptivity is very rare. A good listener is really rare. A person who wants to listen deeply and learn is rare. And commonly, we just want to say our piece. Yeah, I do. And and that's a restlessness, and that's a impatience, and that's aversion, and that's lack of love, and that's distortion. And um, a quiet, receptive mind is is a great quality, a great achievement, and it's not that common. So we can apply this too, also, to getting a sense of the relative receptivity of another person, any person that we're talking to about anything. And just how far they can go, or just how far we can go in talking with them about anything that's important, um, with an eye to how well they are prepared to listen, or want to care, or want to. M- many times we want to talk about things that other people don't want to hear. That's not wise to talk about things that somebody else doesn't want to listen to. So that's a waste of our breath and time and may even do harm. So so let's I'm gonna read through the translation first from John Ireland. It's not too bad. I don't prefer his translations. I think Tanasaro is more accurate, but we can compare and I think it's still useful. Uh, so Kim Sila Sutta right conduct is how he translated it. And so this is it starts with Shariputta's question and the second paragraph goes to Gautama's answer, and that's how it continues. Quote, By developing what habit, what conduct, what actions may man be correctly established in and arrive at the highest goal? And the answer, quote, He should respect his elders and not be envious of them. He should know the right time for seeing his teacher. If a talk on Dhamma has started, he should know the value of the opportunity and should listen carefully to the well-spoken words. When the time is right, let him go to his teacher's presence unassuming, putting aside stubbornness. Let him keep in mind and practice what he has learned, which is the meaning and the text of the teaching, self-control and other virtues of the holy life, delighting in the Dhamma, devoted to the Dhamma, established in the Dhamma, skilled in investigating the Dhamma, let him not indulge in talk harmful to the practice of Dhamma. Let him be guided by well-spoken truths. And here we have some of the, uh, the impediments. Abandoning the uttering of laughter and lamentations, giving up anger, fraud, hypocrisy, longing, conceit, violence, harshness, moral taints and infatuation. Let him live without pride, self-controlled. Understanding is essential for listening to a well-spoken word. Learning and understanding are essential to meditation. But a man who is hasty and heedless does not increase his wisdom and learning. Those who are devoted to the Dhamma, made known by the Noble Ones, Arya, are unsurpassed in speech, thought, and deed. They are established in peace, gentleness, and concentration, and have reached the essence of learning and wisdom. And so it's very much um, uh, on the level of um, 
teacher to student, mental energy transfer, as Ra would say, uh, being of the right state of mind or of a suitable state of mind in the approach and in the reception to be able to make use of or learn from a teaching uh, and the various impediments uh, the various notes here um, the notes one through four uh, the there was some question about what is the right time for seeing a teacher meaning what is the right time uh, for asking a question <laughs> um, and the note indicates that is there's some banging on metal roof here so <laughs> even in the countryside uh, noise is created uh, that the right okay that is that the the note was saying yes 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 uh, the right time is when one needs advice for dispelling mental defilements and this was some discussion in the commentaries about this that uh, you shouldn't bother your teacher until you have a real problem uh, other people might say uh, don't wait till you have a problem <laughs> learn well so you don't have problems well that's great uh, it's good to keep learning so we don't have problems and when we do have problems we should admit we have a problem and so that's not only uh, when to go to the Buddhist teacher as a Buddhist monk it's also when to seek um, when to um, to seek to go beyond one's current level of understanding or seek more deeply to learn uh, in general in life and part of that requires honesty to acknowledge I have some problem you know I really have a problem I'm in confusion I'm upset I'm not clear uh, there's a real live issue I have to deal with um, many people don't learn because they don't admit they have a need to learn they don't acknowledge they're in pain and this is where we get back to the first noble truth of dukkha or stress, or suffering, or in, uh, dis, dissatisfactoriness. I mean, Gautama as the great physician. And um, Buddhism as singular among all the world philosophies, religions, metaphysics, spiritual uh, traditions, focusing on the dissatisfactoriness of the human condition, of, existen of, of existence, of consciousness, the dissatisfactory nature of mind that's not yet enlightened. That doesn't mean there's no happiness or pleasure or joy or bliss or love. It just means that all that well-being or sukha has, uh, is um, an experience that arises and passes away, that changes, that is essentially insubstantial. And because of all that, um, actually there's a tinge of dukkha. To the sukkha. So every sukkha is a sukkha-dukkha. Sukkha-dukkha, That was Dr. Evil did that very well. I'm Mike Myers. So Dr. Evil knows sukkha-dukkha very well. Um, but it's actually true that, that all those experiences of well-being, happiness, pleasure, joy, love, bliss, ecstasy even, um, change. 
and uh, break apart. And uh, even when you're in them, you can't hold them and keep them, except if you're in a higher density. And that doesn't mean that life is evil or bad. It just means that uh, phenomena appear. We experience phenomena changing. And there's a certain loss intrinsic to to all of experience. The human, you know, the nature of phenomenology is a, a study of, of loss, of gain and loss, of arising and passing away. So... Um, going to the teacher when the person needs advice based on a person acknowledging that I'm in trouble or I need some help, that I'm in some pain. And um, some people know better than I do. So that kind of attitude is very important. And that was part of what was missing from this monk in his approach to Shariputta. <laughs> he had about the best teacher available uh, in the Sangha, other than Gautama, with Shariputta as a friend or relative. Uh, meanwhile, he couldn't learn because he had um, the wrong... He, he, he was uh, conceited. <laughs> he was arrogant. He was loose. He was flippant. So this whole notion of um, when to approach a teacher uh, is very much about how to be honest with oneself that one needs help. Then note two was about um, listening carefully to well-spoken words. The phrase well-spoken, uh, subasita, um, I'm not sure if that was John Ireland or Tanisaro making the note that it's a technical term in the Pali Canon, refers to sayings connected with the Dhamma and concerning one's well-being, happiness, and progress on the path. So what's well-spoken is well because it uh, supports our long-term welfare and benefit, to my long-term welfare and benefit. And that's the difference between irrelevant and relevant, or important and not important, or uh, valuable and trivial. Uh, what's valuable really supports our long-term our long-term welfare, our long-term improved mental, physical, emotional, spiritual condition. It really helps. Now, you can say that trivial matters may help, like I put my, make my hair orange because I think it's cool. Well, I guess it helps a little. Um, or taking a hundred selfies, I guess that helps a little. Uh, so then it's a matter of degree. Uh, some decisions and actions help uh, to a trivial minor degree and some help very significantly uh, what is the, the dividing line in any kind of spiritual teaching or metaphysical teaching or study of ancient mysteries and all sorts of things that pass for, for spiritual information in this world uh, some of it brings long term deep benefit and some of it doesn't and that's what Ra talks about the difference between transient information and uh, principles of soul evolution so uh, what's well spoken is well <laughs> because it pertains to the principles of long of soul evolution not simply transient information that brings a momentary cheer um or pleasure or something 
uh, and that that was always my purpose in writing or uh, speaking is to focus on the principles, not just the particulars. And that's what Gautama, that's what Buddha Dhamma is all about, is a focus on principles. The principles uh, that explain our condition, uh, like the first and second noble truth, and the principles associated with path and goal and freedom, like the third and fourth noble truth and the eightfold noble path. And you know, very deep teachings on the way, uh, the, the experience of unenlightened beings, the requirements of a path to freedom, and the reality uh, that there is a goal of, of freedom um, way beyond what we imagine it to be, meaning it's a, a profoundly wonderful achievement. Note three uh, was associated with um, the living of the holy life or um, when the person goes to the teacher's presence unassuming, putting aside stubbornness. And it's useful for us to check the degree to which we have stubbornness. Me too. Um, It normally manifests in cutting people off (laughs) or not listening well. Um me thinking I'm in a role of a teacher could uh, be guilty of cutting people off or too eager to oh, a little boy has arrived yes hello hello uh, oh yeah somebody's saying hello okay just a moment a pause here alright uh, that was just a temporary glitch in the matrix um <laughs> so in this note three, um, in the discussion of what is the right time or how to make that approach to a teacher or for this monk to approach Shariputta or for us to consider um, a, a right, a rightful, the right, a, a useful way of approaching somebody who could, that we can learn from or a teaching, or considering how someone may be approaching us when we're in the role of a teacher or helper or or friend, the role of a friend, Uh, whenever we're in the position where it seems they have a problem and we have some idea we can help, um, do they really know they have a problem? (laughs) They may not think they have a problem. Are they really asking for help? Well, just their saying how terrible their life is is not necessarily asking for help. Ho, ho. And so people (laughs) all the time want to complain, or not all the time, but some people love complaining. Uh, All of us maybe enjoy complaining sometimes, and complaining can be very useful to get it out. On the other hand, um, someone who's speaking with us and uh, delighting in complaining, perhaps, may not be asking for help and they may not um, be receptive in any degree at all and so they're expressing their situation which looks pretty um, pretty uh, unpleasant for us from from our view but actually they don't want our help they just want to complain maybe they want to get it out and they can be done with it maybe they want to get it out and keep it circulating different so there's 
complaining or bitching, as they sometimes call it, um, that is cathartic and release and leads to a quiet mind and a better feeling. There's complaining and bitching and moaning that leads to more of the same, and it seems to go on and on and on, and becomes a bitter person, and then the person has all sorts of other troubles that keep growing because they have a strong attachment to that complaining mind. Um, but here, the quality is uh, considered essential or valuable or unassuming. Don't assume <laughs> that the other teacher, that the person wants to answer all your questions. <laughs> we see this with Nityananda. Some people were very demanding. And some people come to teachers very demanding. Well, <laughs> hello, if you want help, uh, probably better not to be demanding. Um, and some people don't know that. <laughs> they don't know that. They don't even know. They've not been... Uh, they don't know how to wipe their ass. I mean, some people don't know, actually. And so, there is a way, <laughs> by the way, that helps. And there are better ways of doing all these things. So some people, they really want help, but their approach is rough. Uh, and here he's saying, the, the, the Gautama's uh, counseling... Uh, letting go of stubbornness. So asking for help while being stubborn. <laughs> asking for help but being full of assumptions. Uh, that's a problem. And so what what works on that, works against that, is um, to know the Buddhist Dhamma <laughs> very well uh, and to some, have some degree of self-control and the virtues of the holy life, which... Uh, really was the term Bhamacharya, which um, was commonly, could be considered holy life or celibacy. Uh, but it's the nitty-gritty that's important, which is to find the problems and um, resolve them, to address. There's, we can learn by doing our best, <laughs> hearing, teaching, reading something, and trying to figure things out ourselves. We can also learn by finding out where we're stuck and where we're off and where we're distorted and addressing those in the particular. Like, uh, I'm asking for help, but you don't help me. Hmm, maybe it has something to do with my attitude and the way I'm talking to you or how I sound or the sound of my voice when I'm asking for help. Hmm. And so stubbornness is very common, actually. And so people don't learn, partly because they're not in the, in the right frame of mind to truly receive. And this is another reason that great teachers are commonly quiet, is um, they don't want to make trouble. And they don't want to give what's not able to be received, or what won't be received. I only want to give you what I know you will receive and use well. Well... It's most people won't have the development to see how to see that clearly, but it's possible to see that the other person is not only receptive and consciously seeking, but also mentally and spiritually prepared to receive it and use it well. That can be seen, but it's very subtle to see that that's the case. That's why commonly it's better to wait, wait for the calling. Uh, rather than uh, call yourself. Ross said that Orion calls themselves and the Confederation waits for the calling. So for the teacher, for us, talking with anybody about anything, actually, not just helping them with spiritual teaching, 
but talking about anything, it is very important to be sensitive to the mind of the other person. Um, how how um, how substantial is their intention to learn, and how ready do they seem to be, and how well do they seem to be able to make good use of uh, good information in general? What's their track record? And so, when the cow drinks water, turns to milk. When the snake drinks water, turns to poison. It is a problem, and one should be aware, I'm certainly sensitive, when people misunderstand me repeatedly. <laughs> if somebody misunderstands me, or what I think is a misunderstanding repeatedly, uh, I'm uh, doubly careful in the future uh, to say less, so as to not have further misunderstandings, whatever their causes. So, uh, and the final note, just to go through these four notes, was um, very kind of nice phrases, delighting in the Dhamma, meaning I love Buddha Dhamma, this is good stuff, devoted to it, I want to continue, established in it, meaning I've learned from it, I've grown, we can grow from right teaching, and that's the measure of a true path-oriented teaching, meaning a path-oriented teaching that really includes universal, not human, universal uh, principles of soul evolution, like um, the development of green-blue indigo, or the importance of love, wisdom, and resolving lower chakra blockage and old emotional wounding, right? The way of healing as love, wisdom. The way of spirituality as blue, green, indigo. <laughs> this is universal, I think. The, sp the importance of spiritualization of mind, body, mind, spirit. The integration of spirit with body, mind. These are some important principles. <clears throat> and... Um, they're not owned by any tradition, and they're not human. They're applicable to human, but they're not of the human, they're of the Logos. Same thing with the Tarot, or the archetypes of the, of the archetypical deep mind. This kind of thing is of the Logos, uh, of the Logos regarding principles of our evolution. <clears throat> and so, uh, established in those, in, in the learning of those principles, or by way of the fruit, we can determine um, the seed, and the the measure of a of a true mm, path oriented teaching that is of uh, the pr the universal principles of the logos for our development is that we'll find ourselves better off over time um, by its application, by integration, application, taking it to heart putting into practice, we find we're a whole lot better off than we ever have been before. Hey, hey. And that shows, hey, this works. And so if you're taking medicine and you're still sick, maybe the medicine's not working. Maybe that you need another medicine. Maybe there's no medicine that can cure. Maybe there's a different level of working and the physical can't, can't be cured. But uh, I see lots of, lots of, I mean, you have lots of people who take lots of medicines and they still have various conditions. I don't understand why they stay with it. But anyway, this point, skilled in investigating the Dhamma, um, let him not indulge in talk harmful to Dhamma. Um, investigating the Dhamma was also translated, or also could be translated as having discriminative knowledge of the Dhamma. Discriminative knowledge means uh, fine discernment to know uh, the Dhamma. 
uh, I mean, my understanding of Buddha Dhamma was never as developed as it has been in the last three years from reading this, from from going through these suttas, and the various pages, puredhamma.net and this, and Tanisaro's work. So long exposure and immersion um, leads to greater discerning comprehension. Very helpful. And the, the best way, one of the best ways to learn is to teach, of course. So, now I, what I want to do is go to Tanisaro's translation and also we'll see, I want to do a couple of etymologies because etymology is fun. Uh, he translated Kimshila Sutta as with what virtue? <laughs> like uh, Shariputta asking Gautama, with what virtue uh, Kim Sila, what Sila is needed for this young monk who uh, is my friend or my family friend to be able to learn and have some achievement. Tanisaro's intro here says, This sutta mentions the metaphorical notion of heartwood, sara, three times, not mentioned at all by, by John Ireland's translation. So the metaphorical notion of heartwood, sara, three times. Although sara, as a metaphor, is often translated as essence, this misses some of the metaphor's implications. When X is said to have Y as its heartwood, meaning Y is the heartwood of X, that means that the proper development of X yields Y, meaning the proper development of this yields its heartwood. And that Y, or the heartwood, is the most valuable part of X, or the tree. Just as a tree, as it matures, develops heartwood in the center. And the heartwood is the most valuable part of the tree. I actually had uh, heard that term long, long ago and never and didn't remember it, but a heartwood of a tree is really quite beautiful. Trees are lovely. And um, heartwood uh, wood paneling on the wall or on the outside of a house or as flooring must be very lovely. So the difference between the heartwood and uh, the context in which it, it arises the essence or the pith development. Uh, and so how this monk was being advised to approach a teacher or Shariputta um, is the X in which the heartwood of uh, achievement can grow. And so the heartwood would be the transformation that uh, comes by uh, right right listening and application of what he'd learned uh, or the teaching for his own development on the path. So, let's read Tanasaro's translation. Kimsila Sutta. With what virtue, what behavior, nurturing what actions would a person become rightly based and attain the ultimate goal? Which is the real heartwood, nirvana. Gautama said, one should be respectful of one's superiors and not envious, should have a sense of the time for seeing teachers, should value the opportunity when a talk on Dhamma's in progress, meaning when a talk on Dhamma is in progress, one should value that opportunity, should listen intently to well-spoken words, should go at the proper time, humbly, casting off arrogance, 
uh, to one's teacher should go at the proper time humbly, casting off arrogance to one's teacher's presence, should both recollect and follow the Dhamma, its meaning, restraint, and the holy life. That was the brahmacharya. So neither of them said celibacy, but brahmacharya as a whole. Like the original Brahmins in the last uh, Brahmana Dhamika Sutta, how they were. Delighting in Dhamma, savoring Dhamma, established in Dhamma, with a sense of how to investigate Dhamma. One should not speak in ways destructive of Dhamma, should guide oneself with true, well-spoken words. Shedding laughter, chattering, lamentation, hatred, deception, deviousness, greed, pride, confrontation, roughness, astringency, infatuation. One should go about free of intoxication, with steadfast mind. Understandings, the heartwood of well-spoken words. Concentration, the heartwood of learning and understanding. When a person is hasty and heedless, his discernment and learning don't grow, while those who delight in the Dhamma taught by the Noble Ones are unsurpassed in word, action, and mind. They, established in calm, composure, and concentration, have reached discernment, have reached what discernment and learning have as their heart would. Very different <laughs> translation than Ireland, and um, I think it's a superior. And so people have a hard time these days with the whole notion of superior, inferior, generally out of their emotional wounding. But uh, yes, there are people who are superior to us in particular development. Development of morality, very much associated with heart chakra. Development of wisdom or discernment, very much associated with throat chakra, fifth chakra. Uh, superior to us in the ways of spiritual development, magical powers, as well as just awareness of unity, or uh, contact with the higher self, or um, harmony with the plan and intentions of higher self, which is of sixth chakra of greater balance, 4-5, of greater emotional healing, less emotional triggerability, uh, which is all of uh, freedom from blockage in the lower triad. So we have, there are people who are superior to us in all those ways. Anybody who can't see that is really mistaken. Uh, that doesn't mean that ontologically they're better, right? Self is a being of infinite worth, so that's the nature. But in time and space, there's the development of function. Very important point. Very few people seem to understand that. Some people are taller than others. It doesn't mean they're better or worse. But some people are also smarter or more virtuous or uh, bang metal better. And um, that needs to be acknowledged. And so um, respectful to one's superiors or elders means uh, he wrote here, uh, those who have more wisdom than oneself, more skill and concentration, like jhana, and other aspects of the path than oneself, and those senior to oneself, senior in age and senior in development. In the Buddhist Sangha, and um, in this approach, which is very, you know, from the uh, original Brahmana, Brahman way uh, that we saw in the other sutta, 
um, respect for elders, respect for seniors, respect for teachers, respect for those that are longer in the sangha, longer in the order, longer in the in the practice, in the practices. This respect is um, very well appreciated, and so it doesn't mean that every monk is holy. Uh, it doesn't mean that every lay person is below a monk in terms of development. Uh, but it does mean that some people are, de- are are people are at all different levels of development, and that's not um, a ma- that's not a minor matter. <laughs> it's actually a major matter because we can't learn from somebody who is of lesser understanding than us. We can learn how to be with them and how to be of service. We can move through blockages. But in terms of the the quality of knowing, somebody who has a more crude understanding um, can't provide a, a more fine understanding, right? That's kind of normal. So we can learn certain things like how to be with somebody, someone with a crude understanding, or how to not make a big deal out of um, levels of understanding, (laughs) Um, or be of service, or take it easy, whatever it may be, sure. But in terms of um, knowledge of uh, universal truth, there are sources that have more understanding than others. Um, Now, it's fine, I think, for people to be guided by what they like, I like this, I don't like that. I like cryon, I, I don't like the raw material. Okay, go ahead. Enjoy cryon, cryon with the, with the, with that, and reject the raw material or reject Buddha Dhamma. Okay, no problem. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's that. People are free to go whatever way they want. And they end up as far as they take themselves in their chosen path or tradition. Uh, but that doesn't mean that everybody has the same level of understanding, and there really are levels of understanding and discernment and abil- ability and development. Um, and that doesn't mean anybody is essentially better or worse. But anyway, it's a it's a, <laughs> it seems like a point that's a love's labor lost in this world to talk about that. Um, not envious. Um, not envious of those who are greater developed than us. And a lot of people, um, by insecurity and by a certain demonic spirit, (laughs) um, have envy and aggression towards those who are uh, more clear and more bright and more well. Um, Not a lot. Some. Some, some, some. Most people don't even know what's going on, but should have a sense of the time for seeing teachers, and that was the same point before, that the right time, the note says, the right time to see a teacher is when one's overcome with passion, aversion, delusion, three poisons, and cannot find a way out on one's own. And that goes back to a point made in Theosophy by Bailey, that the higher the student, the less face time with the master. Because the higher the student, the less they're stuck in passion, aversion, delusion, ignorance, and they're more able to self-direct on the path, their learning and their service, their work, whatever it may be. But um, there, there are two ways to look at that, of course. One is, yes, when one has a problem, one should really seek help, which means one needs to be honest enough with oneself to acknowledge, I've got some problem. But 
like I said, it's also quite useful to try to handle it yourself and answer things yourself. I think more than more than ever before, we can access deeper knowledge and wisdom um, by ourselves, internally, intuition, deep mind, to answer our own, our own questions and get ourselves out of this stuff. But we have to know how it's done, and then do it. Then we can do it alone. But if you don't know how to work alone, it's hard to work alone. So uh, there was a passage in Anguttara Nikaya, Venerable Mahakachana Kachana says, the right time to visit a monk worthy of esteem, meaning a monk who really has superior understanding, uh, or a person, or a teaching, uh, is when one needs help in overcoming any of the five hindrances, or when one doesn't yet have an appropriate theme to focus on to put an end to the mind's effluence, or asavas. Uh, meaning you go for help when you need help, and uh, that's true, um, but it's also quite useful to do it for oneself, I think. Uh, the <laughs> little, just to go through the other notes, three, the phrase destructive of Dhamma, one should not speak in ways destructive of Dhamma, is a uh, uh, one commentary <laughs> equated words destructive of dhamma with animal talk so don't be an animal and uh, recently i have more contact with dogs and cats and um um it's really a mistake to anthropomorphize animals maybe some are more humanly or human humanesque they have more personality than others, for sure, but um, they're not at the human level. <laughs> and that doesn't mean they're inferior as beings. It just means there are uh, distinct stages of evolution. That doesn't mean better or worse. There is heartwood, and there is bark. <clears throat> the heartwood forms after a long time. Um and the bark is more superficial, and the heartwood is deeper, and the heartwood is has certain properties that the that the uh, outer cortex and the bark doesn't have. They're different, and one comes after long development, and one um, is again more superficial or shallow, the the bark. And is the heartwood better than the bark? No, <laughs> but it has certain properties that some people will consider more valuable. And it may have a greater beauty. Mm. So don't be an animal. I mean, you not people listening here, but frankly, there are a lot of humans who self-animalize. And then the final point is um, the heartwood of learning and discernment is release. What is the purpose of learning and discernment? Right. So discernment is for learning. Learning is for answering questions and establishing right view uh, and being able to help others and uh, ultimately for our own release or our continued soul evolution. Um, this whole notion, I mean, Buddhism is very much about here's our condition and, the, and um, over there is ultimate liberation, freedom, the, the penultimate goal, nirvana, 
the blowing out of the flame of ignorance and craving and rebirth. Okay? Well, there's a lot in between. And so, you can say that the heartwood of discernment is learning, and the heartwood of learning is continued soul evolution, which is ascension, which is um, going further uh, up the seven dimensions, or 31 planes, or 49 planes, uh, that culminates in release. Uh, but it seems to me there's nothing wrong with um, enjoying the journey, and not only um, as much as we can with Sukadukkha, and not uh, being simply focused on release. In any case, what I want to do is just compare. <laughs> this is a, a whole, uh, a very thorough, <laughs> a thorough um, hoeing of the row of the sutta. Uh, just, I'm not. It's not going to go that long, but I want to compare um, Ireland's translation with Tanisaro's translation of um, the impediments or obstructions that need to be abandoned. Um, that the second to last paragraph and then a couple of words in there to look at etymology. Uh, so it's shedding or avoiding or abandoning. What? Well, laughter, chattering <laughs> means what? You shouldn't laugh or and chattering also was lamentation translated by Ireland as laughter and lamentation or laughter and chattering. Uh, it's basically akin to the form of wrong speech called frivolous speech, idle chatter, uh, idle chatter, or um, uh, irrelevance, <laughs> irrelevant use of the mouth, a pointly, a, a fruitless use of mouth, I'd say. Down the page, there there's a term, infatuation. In fact, both of them translated that. Um, yeah. So, giving up anger, fraud, looking into Ireland, giving up anger, fraud, hypocrisy, longing, conceit, violence, harshness, moral taints, and infatuation. And Tanisaro said, um, lamentation, hatred, deception, deviousness, greed, pride, confrontation, roughness, astringency, infatuation. Uh, <laughs> astringent, <laughs> by the way, comes from the Latin stringere, stringere, means to bind or pull tight, restricting the flow of blood or leading to some contraction. To bind, to pull tight, and further back, um, it, uh, strignere, there are all sorts of cute old terms from Italian, from Latin, tightening, closing, grasping, um, contracting, uh, as what? As a pattern? As speech? Astringency common, commonly applies to speech. Um, that which leads the other to contract. 
that which comes from a tightened, contracted mind. Uh, sharp words. Uh, cutting words. Harsh, uh, curt words. This kind of thing. Uh, so, uh, while astringency, or the, it's good to it's good to have lemon juice. It's not good to uh, speak in ways that lead others to recoil. Uh, act and speak in ways that are harsh, and rough, or even brutal, um, and lead others to feel contracted or uh, recoil away. And then infatuation is very funny. It comes from the Latin word fatus. Fatus means foolish. So don't be a fool. And um, it comes from P-I-E, Proto-Indo-European. But also came from batu, um, to beat, to stab, to dig. I hit you, I beat you. So that's uh, some connection to fatu and batu. <laughs> Uh, fatus and batu, um, foolish and beating, beaten and foolish. So, this infatuation again is um, like a, a super attachment to an irrelevancy. What's irrelevant? What's unimportant? And right, well, what's unimportant? What's over important? I don't know. Um, collecting uh, Star Wars uh, action figures. Um, is probably a kind of infatuation. If you look at the movie The 40-Year-Old Virgin, it's a cute movie, Steve Carell. He's uh, <laughs> infatuated with uh, action models for a while. So, um, foolishness, um, n not knowing the difference between important and unimportant. There is important, there's not important. Um, if I uh, eat this that is a kind of junk food once, if I know it's okay, it's not important. If I do it every day, that's important because it's going to ruin health. And so a little of what's irrelevant or what's unimportant or what's shallow means very little. Um, habitual activity and attachment is a big problem or is an important matter. And so that's very critical too, the difference, the discernment between uh, a little and a lot and difference of degree being a difference of kind. So these are all various qualities. Certainly another one that looks to me interesting is confrontation and roughness. And uh, this was translated, I think, as violence and harshness. Yeah, violence and harshness for Ireland. Uh, confrontation and roughness. It's actually a much better translation for Donisaro. He, he's much more literary, I think, or he, he's much more subtle. Um, a, confronted, a confrontive attitude. Confrontational person. There are some people that are confrontational. They just like conflict. And there are some minds that like, it's the yes but mind. They can't just say yes and relax. They have to say yes but, or yes and. Yes and, 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 listen to me. Here's what I want to say. Here's what you need to hear, because what I want to say is really important. 
and I'm glad you're finished so I can say what I want to say. And the it it whenever we're like that it's a kind of restlessness. Um but it can but but persisted in long persisted in can lead to a confrontive conf- confrontational personality. Um a personality that is attached to confrontation and can't enjoy the present moment very well either. And another term here is roughness and um that's akin to harsh speech. It's it's a basic rough manner, and that is not mm, uh, conducive to learning. If one approaches a teacher, or if someone approaches us in a rough way, um, it's good to acknowledge that and respond uh, accordingly, however you wish, but taking into account how the person's approaching us, or that they may be approaching. In a way that is insincere. Um, if somebody approached, asked for help in a confrontative, confrontative, or confrontational, rough up manner, um, they need to be treated appropriately, or at least consider, understood that that's how they're treating treating me or approaching me, which is different than somebody who's gentle and sincere and um, pleasant and and maybe lovely <laughs> to to be with because they're gentle. So go about free of intoxication, with a steadfast mind. In some ways, those are all the, these qualities. Obstructions can be considered uh, forms of intoxication. Intoxication means toxified, means toxic, means a little poison, a little um, drunk as well. And so free of drunkenness, <laughs> not not alcoholic, but um, the the drunkenness of attachment to distortion, the drunkenness associated with lower triad blockage, and aggression, basically of the three poisons. Um, so, the next paragraph, and I'll just conclude here with uh, Tanisaro's translation. Uh, understanding is the heartwood of well-spoken words. Concentration is the heartwood of learning and understanding. And so, from well-spoken words, meaning words that pertain to universal principles, presented capably by one who knows, um, the reception, the right reception, <laughs> listening and integration and putting into practice of these well-spoken words on essential matters, that leads to understanding. That's the heartwood that's formed uh, over time in that by that harmonious process of learning. Then uh, concentration, which is not the same as understanding. Concentration really is samadhi, <laughs> meditative practice, um, being able to hold the mind steady on a single object becoming one-pointed, or a quiet mind, a non-proliferating mind, a relaxed, a peaceful heart, um, that can concentrate and focus. That is considered here the heartwood of learning, or understanding. So, understanding, learning, from well-spoken words, from one who knows, and uh, one who is focused on essentials, from 
right reception, which is called learning, we grow the heartwood of understanding. From the heartwood of understanding can grow something even deeper or more precious called concentration, which is ultimately a quiet, peaceful mind, a peaceful mind and a a, pe- a relaxed heart, a peaceful heart, quiet mind. <clears throat> quiet mind, not loud, peaceful heart, not in conflict. Um, those are akin to, those are associated with, with concentration. And a concentration is what leads to release. And concentration also leads to vairagya. And there's a back and forth vairagya as um, renunciation. We'll see that with Nityananda reading. Nityananda's whole life is about um, an example of vairagya um, and, and union of the personal and the universal. But uh, letting go of what's unneeded, detachment, renunciation, uh, disinterest, dispassion, right disinterest, right dispassion, uh, vairagya, comes naturally with greater concentration. Because you can really focus on what's important. <laughs> when you, you can't know what's important unless you can focus enough to see the difference between the important and the less important. There's totally unimportant, there's not too important a little bit, and there's extremely important or critical. To be able to know that, which is a discernment, one needs concentration to have, to have discernment. Mm-hmm. So, wisdom coming out of discernment comes out of the capacity for discernment, which actually comes from concentration, the ability to have concentration, meaning to be able to focus in on what you're looking at and see with by discernment, or that clear seeing being discernment, what's more lesser and not important, what's most, what's little, and what's not. That discernment is uh, a product of uh, adequate concentration. Adequate concentration actually comes from understanding teachings and putting them into practice, particularly to resolve um, repressed pain, old emotional pain, imprinted pain, and various wrong views of self and other, distorted views of self, particularly, and other, um, inflated, deflated, and uh, erased, as Karen Horney would say, or I'd say of her. So these three distorted forms of self-image or sense of self have to be cleared before one can have a peaceful mind too. And so self-understanding is part of the understanding that's needed. And then deeper healing or um, bringing unconditional acceptance in with the understanding or as a basis of the understanding and forgiveness. Uh, But there's a sequence here. And so deep self-healing going to a more peaceful heart and a more clear, quiet mind which is the result of successful love, wisdom, self-understanding. And then there's the understanding of how to live a life or proceed on the spiritual path, like Buddha Dhamma. And from that understanding comes uh, a mind that is uh, released from perplexity. And that uh, helps a lot with concentration. And that helps a lot with discernment. And that helps a lot with um, getting clear on what I ought to keep and what I ought to let go of. And so when a person's hasty and heedless, discernment and learning don't grow. 
So the discernment and learning have a interchange or a feedback uh, looping um, by discernment we mm, we strengthen the way of learning or learning requires discernment but the more we learn the more we also can discern what's essential for learning or how to learn uh, so all sorts of the, the learning is empowered by discernment and um, uh, more learning empowers discernment as well because um, there's just a clear sense of right view gets clearer or we go to right view anyway um, and the final uh, final uh, discussion of Hartwood or Sada um, where uh, Tanisaro translates it as they, meaning those who delight in the Dhamma and have really purified thought, word, and deed are established in calm which is uh, may actually be samadhi composure and concentration have reached what discernment and learning have as their heartwood, heartwood, which is release. And so the heartwood of learning and discernment is release. Uh, learning and discernment um, are um, two sides of the same, meaning greater learning, greater discernment, greater discernment, greater learning, back and forth, back and forth. And the result of that comes to the heartwood of release eventually or for us um, greater release <laughs> greater a little bit greater freedom and well-being that comes from um, freedom from from various uh, bondage forms of bondage in mind freedom from a, a mental enslavement by ourselves by our own ignorance and attachments and um, patterns that are unnecessary. So, uh, it's interesting that only Tanasaro caught how important the term heartwood is here in the sutta, and the sequence of um, development from right approach to a teacher or a teaching to um, a deliberate freeing oneself of impediments to delighting in receiving the teaching and then growing in uh, understanding uh, concentration uh, deep learning and discernment and eventually to release so anyway um, this is a fine <laughs> a fine uh, uh, of high-focused uh, analysis, I think, of uh, uh, Kim Sila Sutta. And I hope that was helpful. <laughs> um, next time, certainly lots of applications, but uh, I think it's gone over pretty well. Next time, we're in the 10th Sutta, which is Uttana Sutta, on vigilance and initiative, and Tanasaro gives the synopsis as a stirring exhortation to rekindle your efforts. Wake up! And so, 
<laughs> he's a nice guy writing it that way so I hope this was helpful and um, I hope people keep balance and uh, remember the universals in this time of um, collective human distress uh, with the virus and uh, the government actions and uh, the fears and um, the secret agendas uh, <clears throat> it's a disturbing catalyst uh, and I hope people can um, remember where you're from and where you're going and the greater context in which this um, crisis is occurring this um, collective um, distress occurs in a greater context of planetary evolution at a certain time in the history of the planet and for wanderers particularly or souls who care um, we're here to uh, bring some love light to a very confused and distorted uh, human soul collective just by being here and if anybody wants to talk with us that's nice we can do our best and talk well hopefully but other than that um, this crisis on this planet with this group at this time um, occurs in a glorious uh, metaphysical universal context and um, it's a little bit like a prison riot uh, the whole land is not a prison but there's a prison in the land or in the nation so this planet is akin to prison planet and this is a little bit like a prison riot um, uh, <clears throat> and um, it's a distressing time so do your best and um, we'll all get through it certainly so take care good night see you next time and bye for now <laughs>